different place All the same with a new face With strange mysteries hanging in the air People in their sane minds Swear they see today Greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of the amazing country legend, Bobby Mackey, and of course, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Now, I start this episode on somewhat of a sad note. My mother had to say goodbye to two very beloved, loyal, furry family members yesterday. So this is dedicated to Goldie the Tabby Cat, who lived to be mm, 21, 22 years old, I believe, and the Great Pyrenees Princess. I just want to say something about these two animals real quick. Princess, my mom lives on a ranch where nightly you hear coyotes, and they get close sometimes bobcats, and other predators roam about. And Princess was blind, mind you, but she kept these predators at bay, saving the lives of her smaller animals several different times. So many times I can't count. For years, even though she was blind, she knew the ranch, my mom's 35-acre ranch, like the back of her paw. (laughs) Just such a sweet girl. Goldie, the cat, he was phenomenal too. She had brought him home from town. He was a feral cat, but he was so loving and precious and just not afraid of people. You know, he was like our store cat, if you will, when my mom owned her store, the organic peddler. And I tell you, she brought him home and then she went to Thailand on a trip with my sister. And my stepdad calls her saying, yeah, I haven't seen Goldie in a few days. I'm kind of concerned. Maybe an animal got him. So she was really, really sad about that, right? And she comes back home from her trip, I think like a week or two later, and Goldie shows up back in town, which is like 15 miles away. And he, it was like a homeward bound kind of thing. He traveled from my mom's ranch having to cross the Rio Grande River, a highway, uh, going through the mountains where, again, predators, and he made it. He had his eye kind of bulging out and he had some wounds, but he survived. I, I just, his story was just so amazing to me. I can't even walk two miles without getting tired. Yet this tiny cat walked close to 20 miles. I, I It still just blows my mind, his story. It was a very special story, so I just kind of wanted to share that with you. She did bring him back to the ranch and we were all kind of like, what are you doing? He he obviously wants to be in town. He walked that far and I figured he wouldn't be able to do such a trek a second time and he ended up staying put and he was there for, I want to say over 10 years. And so, yeah, just the very special animals for sure. It's never easy having to say goodbye. And um, I told my mom that it's, it's the most selfless gift you can give because you know it's you know the I sometimes I feel like these animals they love you so much that 
even though they are hurting and it must sometimes even hurt just to move or breathe, that they do not want to give up. They don't want to let down their master, their human, their family member. And so sometimes we have to do it for them. And my mom did. She she said goodbye to them. And I, I know it wasn't easy, but you're hurting, but you're taking away their pain. And I know a lot of you listening may have had to do the same thing. I just choose to believe that they're they're out there. They're watching over us, the spirits of our sweet, sweet beloved animals. So rest in peace, Princess and Goldie. I love you. This episode was requested by my boyfriend, Justin. I have to say, he always comes up with really fun topics. It's because of him that I did the episodes of Bugatti, The Executioner, and the two-parter series of The Pharaoh's Curse. 56 years after the voodoo queen's death, Times Picayune released this bit on March 7th of 1937, and it reads this, quote, Voodoo yet rules faithful disciples of dead sorceress Marie Laveau, queen of the voodoos in the 19th century New Orleans rites, died many years ago, but her ghost still lingers in the city and inspires a number of her faithful followers to make midnight pilgrimages to her tomb. Her gray ghost haunts the city which she imperiously ruled the voodoo rites. Unquote. In New Orleans' heart, mystic's resting place, Marie Laveau in the sacred burial space. Beneath the oaks, where spirit dance and play, her tomb stands silent, where seekers often pray. Voodoo queen with wisdom deep and rare, your legend echoes in the city's sultry air. Mysteries embraced within your crypts embrace, guiding souls seeking solace, love, and grace. In St. Louis Cemetery, and amidst the age-old stones, whispers of your name, the legacy you sown. Visitors leave tokens, hopes and fervent plea, in Marie Laveau's realm, where spirits most certainly roam free. Your spirit, too, lingers, an enigmatic guide, in rituals, stories, and the city's tide. Voodoo queen of lore, your memory endures. Marie Laveau and New Orleans' mystical allure. Marie Laveau was born circa 1801. Some accounts say 1783, while others say 1794. Her mother was a freed slave named Marguerite d'Arcantrell. She was a black and Choctaw Indian woman and... Marie's father was a very wealthy, successful businessman and also a plantation owner, Charles Laveau. Marie was a free woman of color who became quite an influential, respected woman when it came to New Orleans society. August 4th of 1819, Marie, well, she weds Jacques Perry, and it is officiated by Pere Antoine. The marriage, sadly, doesn't last too terribly long, and in 1826, some accounts say 1820, Jacques dies, 
leaving the young Marie a widow. Later that year, she begins to see a man named Christophe Glapion, and they remain together until his death. The following year after they are married, she gives birth to a baby girl that they name Marie. Now, this was before you could go to the Maury Povis show or get a DNA test to see who the father was. So it's unsure if the father was her late husband or her current lover slash new husband, Christophe. It could have been either man. Speaking of babies, during Marie Laveau's lifetime, she would give birth to a whopping 15 children. At least two of them would be named after her. And at least one child, that being one of the Maries, is buried in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1, along with her ever-so-famous mother. Now, it's believed that once Marie becomes a widow, this is around the time frame when she becomes deeply entrenched and interested in the voodoo, the spells, and the rituals. She was a hairdresser, but many people think this to be a cover-up for her voodoo practices. She had control over some rather powerful people, including judges, law enforcement, politics, and others. Then there are her love spells. And word is they were extremely accurate And she had several satisfied clients when it came to their new thriving love lives. She also was able to do other things and help people that may have been having troubles with the law. This includes one man who she helped. And guess what, you guys? He was so satisfied with her services that it's said he gifted her with a cottage. Now I have at least 10 books, probably more, when it comes to New Orleans since it does hold such a special place in my heart. And doing this episode, besides doing my regular research stuff, it had me pulling out these books, and I found some pretty interesting stories regarding our voodoo priestess. And so I want to read a quick insert from a book titled Spirits of New Orleans, and it's written by Kala Ambrose. And it's a great book. It goes into detail about the gifting a cottage to her because the spell worked so incredibly well. And it reads this, quote, One day she was asked to visit the office of a very wealthy and established man in New Orleans who asked for her assistance. His son had been arrested for a crime which the father knew he was innocent, but The police claimed they had enough evidence to prove his guilt. The man felt that his son had been set up for a variety of political and economic reasons, and he had no other discourse available than to resort to voodoo and help his son out of the situation. Marie agreed to assist the man with the matter and spent three days in preparation, becoming deeply involved in an intense series of rituals incantations, spells, and charms. On the third day of the ritual, just hours before the trial was set to be held, Marie placed three hot peppers in her mouth and walked through the French Quarter to the St. Louis Cathedral. When she arrived in the church, she knelt and prayed in the church for an hour. 
while keeping the hot peppers burning inside her mouth, asking for a divine intervention for the plight of this man's son. She left the church, and through her elaborate system of connections and throughout the city, she was able to gain entrance undetected inside the courtroom, where the judge would sit to preside over the case. Marie was able to place the hot peppers, along with other magical items she had prepared, directly under his chair. She then exited the courtroom and reportedly returned home to continue her prayers to the gods to correct the situation now occurring at the courthouse. The trial began, despite the overwhelming amount of evidence produced by the police toward the young man, the judge ruled in the young man's favor and pronounced him not guilty. The legend around this event says that the father was so elated by Marie's magic that he not only paid her more than the price she had asked, but he also bought her a small cottage home in appreciation, unquote. Now, some argue that this never happened. No doubt she may have helped this man and his son, but not that he gave her a cottage. Many are saying that the cottage was handed down to her through her family. And Ambrose also mentions this in her book, which is a great book. By the way, I recommend you folks who love reading as much as I do to give it a whirl. Marie Laveau dies June 15th of 1881, leaving behind the legacy of spiritualism and influence within the community. And she is laid to rest in New Orleans' oldest burial grounds, that being St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. And it's said that the day that she died, Many reports come pouring in of people seeing the voodoo queen, the high priestess herself, roaming the streets of New Orleans. So from day one, it seems like she was a very active spirit. No surprise there, right? Now the funeral of the renowned voodoo queen of New Orleans remains shrouded with historical mystery. There are few concrete details available by the specifics of her funeral or burial. But it's believed that her funeral was an extremely extravagant, significant, and epic event. And I'm sure all of New Orleans came, either because they adored her or feared her, to pay their respects to a woman who left such a huge imprint, and unique imprint, in the Crescent City. St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, Marie Laveau's final resting place. This is a place that I've been to many times. The first time being close to 25, 30 years ago. I've been to many burial grounds in my life. Even before I started investigating the paranormal, I just always was drawn to them. And I have to say that St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is one of my all-time favorite burial grounds. I know I did an episode about the cemetery, including others like St. Rock, like a couple years at least, in my Cities of the Dead episode. So I won't go into a lot of detail about the cemetery itself, but what I will say is that Marie Laveau's tomb remains a pilgrimage site for so many people who travel from all around the world to pay their respects to this ever so unique woman. Many continue to leave offerings, many still seeking her spiritual guidance, advice, and blessings. While some will leave offerings like candles, money, jewelry, and many other types of things, some believe it appropriate to carve an X into her tomb. And several years ago, 
Some thought that it would be fun to paint her final resting place this horrendous Pepto-Bismol pink color. Now, while it looks good on Casa Bonita, not so much on somebody's final resting place. So, years ago, I had a woman who's from New Orleans on my radio show. So this was over five years ago, at least. And I remember us talking about Marie Laveau and how this had happened. And I said something about how I just thought it was so disrespectful to vandalize not only the voodoo queen's tomb, but just anybody's for that matter. You wouldn't want your family member's burial spot to be messed with. And I remember this individual just got so offended when I said that. And you would have thought I slapped her mama or something. And of course, this is on live radio, so it's not like I could edit or take anything out. And I remember her kind of just going like, how dare you? And how she really believed that it was a way to honor the high priestess and that she didn't see any reason that it was disrespectful in the slightest. And I have to respectfully disagree. And apparently so did the authorities as they went to great measures so this would never happen again on their watch. And they closed the cemetery in 2015. And I believe now the only way that you could get into St. Louis Cemetery number one is if you pay for a tour and stick with the tour guide. See, it's just dishonest people like that kind of ruin it for everybody else, unfortunately. I remember back in the day that you could just go anytime you wanted, during opening hours, of course. But that was many, many moons ago, my friends. So again, with people putting the X on her grave, some would use chalk, which is nice because guess what? At least that comes off easily. But others thought it necessary to carve that X right into her tomb. Some, after carving the X, would then make a wish turn around a number of times, and then get this. They would kick the mausoleum. Have people gone mad? I mean, I'm sorry, but talk about the dead being disturbed. Aren't they kind of like supposed to be resting in peace and stuff? While the person is making a wish, I'm sure the high priestess is wishing, hey, please don't carve into my burial plot, and oh yeah, don't kick it either. That's my wish. Anyway, supposedly, if the person's wish comes true, they have to go back and give her something as an offering of some sort. Anyways, that stuff really can't go on anymore, thankfully, due to the closing of St. Louis Cemetery, and now having to go in with tours. Which again, is a royal pain in the ass, but if people are going to do things like that in the cemetery, then that is what needs to absolutely be done. Voodoo, baby. Marie often told fortunes to the locals of New Orleans. She would sell these pouches with grisgris, containing herbs, stones, bone, hair, oils, grave dirt, and much more. She was known for blending elements of African religious traditions, Catholicism, and folklore. She would create these really unique spells and rituals and conduct these just absolute epic ceremonies. Boy, I'd like to be a fly on a wall during one of those bad boys. (laughs) Now, she was a skilled herbalist and a healer. Woman of many talents, obviously. That's why people loved her, feared her, respected her, obeyed her, right? Marie offered remedies and spiritual advice to people from various backgrounds. She didn't care what color you were, what race or nationality you were. She gained a reputation for her abilities to assist those seeking help with personal issues, love problems, or even seeking protection from someone or something. Now, beyond the high priestess's spiritual practices, Laveau was also known for her community work. 
even though she was a free woman of color and was never a slave herself, she was trying to stop slavery. And she would often help the poor and less fortunate. Marie lived in the home that her mother and grandmother raised her in. Now, this is the same home, supposedly, that some believe that was her family's home and not gifted to her by a happy and satisfied client. Either way, whatever it was, it was not rare for her to open up her very own home for people in desperate need. While no doubt many adored and respected this woman and were, let's face it, extremely grateful for her generous services that she provided, there were some that just absolutely feared her. Voodoo terrified them. It was something that they strongly felt should not exist, and they thought it was just hocus-pocus. Many believed voodoo to be connected to something of a darker power, like black magic. There's nothing good that could come from this, is what they thought, and that it was used just for negative, evil purposes. To this very day, Marie Laveau's legend and mystique continue to just capture the imagination of just so many people and her impact on the culture of New Orleans, particularly in the realm of voodoo and spirituality. It remains a significant part of the city's phenomenal, unique history and folklore. That's one of my favorite things about New Orleans besides the food, which I gain several pounds every time I visit. It's the history, the legends, the stories, the people, just everything about it. So much of Marie Laveau's life is just shrouded in absolute mystery, legend, and myth. And there's no hiding that her legacy was and is a powerful spiritual figure in New Orleans to this very day. The Times published a story March 21st of 1869. And it reads this, quote, These women were all dressed elaborately, some of them in bridal costumes, and with an extraordinary regard for the finest impurity of their linen. At one end of the chapel, a corpse was exposed. The rites having been commenced, an elderly turbaned female dressed in yellow and red, Marie Laveau, ascended a sort of die and chanted a wild sort of fetish song, to which the others kept up an accompaniment with their voices and with the drum-like beat of their hands and feet. At the same time, they commenced to be in a circle. As the motion gained in intensity, the flowers and other ornaments disappeared from their hair, and their dresses were torn open, and each one conducted herself like a bachinette. Everyone was becoming drunk and intoxicated with a prevailing madness and excitement. As they danced in a circle, in the center of which was a basket with a dozen hissing snakes, whose heads were projecting from the cover, each corymant touched a serpent's head with her brand. In the midst of the Saturnalia of witches, the pythoness of this extraordinary dance and revel was a young girl with bare feet, and costumed in chemise. In one hand, she held a torch, and with wild manacle gestures headed the band. In this awful state of nudity, 
She continued her ever-increasing frantic moments until reason itself abandoned its earthly tenant. In a convulsive fit, she finally fell, foaming at the mouth like one possessed. And it was only then that the mad carnival found a pause. The girl was torn half-dead from the scene, and she has never yet been restored to her faculties. Unquote. Very interesting stuff, I must say. Now, one of the books that I have in my possession is Victor Klein's book titled New Orleans Ghosts. And it is in this book that I read an encounter regarding a man who experiences something rather spooky back in 1930. Now, this was obviously during the Great Depression, and this individual, like so many others during that time, well, he had come upon extremely harsh times. He was penniless. He was without a home. So he decides to stay the night in the cemetery. He finds a mausoleum that he thinks will give him the appropriate and proper shelter that he needs, and he goes into a rather deep slumber. And he's actually able to sleep for a handful of hours before he is awoken by the sounds of drums and chanting. And it is so loud. It's just pounding away in his ears. And this man, he doesn't know what to think. He, he is afraid that maybe there's grave robbers out there or someone else with ill intentions. And he decides it's time to leave. And I want to read this insert from Victor's book to give you a more detailed account of this man's soon-to-be-very-terrifying encounter. And it reads this, quote, One young man, a vagrant during the 1930s, reported a tale of dread and terror. Being unemployed and living in the depths of the Great Depression, the hapless witness decided to spend the night in the old cemetery. He scaled a tomb. For several hours, he slept fitfully. Electrically, he was awoken. His brain thundered with the sounds of primitive drums and ecstatic chants. Fearing robbers or perhaps a band of maniacs, he stealthily descended his sanctuary. Carefully, he crept among the dark tombs, hoping to find an exit and the relative safety of the streets. He turned a corner and was instantly bathed in a spectacle from the bowels of hell, surrounding the cross, splattered witch queen's tomb were ectoplasmic bodies of naked men and women engaging in passionate embraces and lustful postures. Rising from the midst of this bacchanal stood a statuesque nude sepia woman entwined by a gigantic serpent. Her presence dominated the scene. It was from her being that the spectacle of sexuality and depravity seemed to rise. Before his terror-laden eyes, freed from the fetters of death, stirred Marie Laveau in all her splendor, leading her ever faithful and a celebration of sensuality and fertility. The scene overwhelmed him. He fled for his life, his sanity, his soul. Unquote. I can only imagine what went through this man's head. I'm sure he never stepped foot in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 ever again. And in the same book, Victor talks about another chilling experience. And it's about a group of three friends who have been enjoying a night out in the ever-so-famed French Quarter, something that I have done many times in my life throughout the several years. 
you cannot go to New Orleans and not visit the French Quarter. And if you do, well, you're just not getting the whole experience, my friends. There's just something about the atmosphere, the ever so unique history. It's mesmerizing and quite haunting, to say the least. So these men, they're in a rather drunk-like state. They're happy. They're in good spirits, shooting the breeze. And one of the topics that come up has to do with witches and voodoo and what have you. This is normal talk in the Big Easy. Nothing weird going on here. And of course, while in New Orleans, drinking up with your friends and talking about voodoo, the high priestess, the queen of voodoo, Marie Laveau, well, her name, it's bound to pop up. Am I right? Well, before long, these men, they're daring one another to sneak into the cemetery, drive a stake right through the mausoleum. Well, whoever was successful in conducting this illegal task would not only get $30, but also bragging rights of doing just that. One of the men thought this was an offer he could not resist. So he flings himself over the cemetery side. And again, I'm going to read from Victor Klein's New Orleans Ghosts book. And it reads this, quote, His friends waited for his return. The minutes stretched to an hour. The inebriated fools called to their friend. No answer. They waited. They drank. They cursed. Dawn came, and with it, the opening of the cemetery's gates. The angry young men rushed to the grave, waiting to vent their rage on their inconsiderate comrade. They found him by the side of the witch's grave, dead. In his drunken state, he hammered the spike through his coat and into the sound sarcophagus. As he rose to leave and collect his thirty dollars, some unseen force holds him in place. Obviously, it was his misdirected knell. Panic and fear must have raped his drunken, confused mind. He panicked. His struggle? It was in vain. Who knows what his mind conjured before him in the city of death. Whatever it was, the power of his illusions were so strong that his alcohol-stressed heart exploded. When discovered, his friends were aghast at the horror that was etched upon his wretched face. Unquote. In the heart of New Orleans, where tales are spun, lies the voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, known to everyone. A mystic spirit, the healer in the night. Her presence brings comfort, her aura a guiding light. In St. Louis Cemetery, where secrets dwell, her tomb stands tall, an enigmatic spell. Offerings left at her resting place, seeking her blessings, seeking her grace. Voodoo whispers in the bayou's breeze, echoes of her magic through the cypress trees. With potions brewed and spirits at her call, Marie Laveau, a legend standing tall. Her spirit lingers, a mystical embrace in the heart of the city and the soul of the place. A legacy woven in mystery's thread, voodoo queen immortalized long after she's dead, guiding the lost, healing the sore, Marie Laveau forevermore, and rituals sung and candles aglow, 
Her spirit dances eternal in the Big Easy's flow. This week's special city shoutouts go to Taipei, Taiwan, Landford Forum, England, Catalina Foothills, Arizona, Carol Stream, Illinois, Central, Hong Kong, and New Hartford, Connecticut. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all phenomenal, my friends. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to worry. You could hit up any of those awesome podcast platforms and binge listen to your heart's fright to this very moment. Those platforms include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Downcast, Podcast Republic. Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Thanks, everyone, and I will see you next week.